favorite a quick, very quick review to help those of you who are visiting today, but also those of you who may have missed, um, you know, one of the other Sundays, and also to those of you who might have a short memory. Just a thought for you. Uh, two weeks ago, we looked at Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 38, and in those verses, Jesus gives what seems to be a series of statements regard, related to behavior. This is some of what he says in verse 27. It says, But I say to you who listen, love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And he continues with statements like that, uh, you know, and... It continues on and on. It just seems like with, with all of these different uh, rapid-fire statements almost. We stopped at verse 38 that day. Verse 38 says, Given it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And we noticed as we looked at that section of verses, and we were looking at those, and the, one of the unifying uh, observations of that whole list is that they all relate to how we live. Choices that we make in everyday living, choices that uh, he encouraged us to make in some cases because loving our enemies is certainly not a natural thing for us to do. But this is some of the way in which he's designed us uh, and, well, that he has designed for us to live. We don't do a really good job with it. Uh, But what we said as we looked at that is that it was a matter of lifestyle because our lifestyle matters. Our lifestyle reflects our values, specifically the place that God holds in our values is reflected in our lifestyle and how we do that. Last week, we looked at Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. And again, it's some of what Jesus taught. Uh, Part of what is referred to by us oftentimes is a Sermon on the Mount. I often wonder if his disciples call it that. Man, remember that Sermon on the Mount? Wasn't that a good, wasn't that a good one? You know, but at any rate, a part of what he says there is, you know, don't collect uh, for yourselves treasures on earth. He goes on where moth and rust destroy and things like that. But, but collect for yourself treasures in heaven. He's, he was, he's uh, redirecting, if you will, uh, the focus uh, of, of life, the focus and motivator of life there. Uh, we ended again with uh, uh, verse 24, which says, um, there we go. Uh, no one can be a slave of two masters since he will either hate one and love the other, be devoted to one and despise the other. He cannot be slaves of God and money. Now, as we noted in those verses, as we looked at those verses, this is a matter of outlook. You know, it's our outlook. We compared the outlook of, of poverty theology and prosperity theology, and we put those two extremes, those are extreme views, we put those two side by side. We looked at some of the qualities uh, of, and characteristics, if you will, of each one, and we said they, bo- they both have good points, but they also have glaring errors. Because while they grab and they begin to cherry pick scriptures and put some of those in place uh, to make it seem like what they want, they, what they end up doing then is they ignore other verses, they ignore other clear teaching in scripture, which would temper their views. One of the things we never want to do is go to scripture so that scripture can only prove what I already think. We want to go to scripture so that scripture can modify how I think so that I begin thinking the thoughts of God and I begin to think, uh, align, uh, thoughts in line with God's word, not simply trying to make God's word support uh, any sort of thing that I think I want to do or something that sounds good to me. That's not how we approach scripture. And, you know, so when we're talking about a matter of outlook, what we looked at, we saw stewardship theology is how we 
labeled a, the, a balance between those two, uh, that, that uh, attempt by us to honestly deal with not only those scriptures that are, are taken by the extreme views, but then how in the world can they relate to each other? God wasn't, God, God doesn't contradict himself. Uh, God wasn't confused when he laid all this out there. And he doesn't, it, it isn't put it in there so that we can ignore parts of it. But so how does it all blend together? And to try to take that honest look on it, and particularly as we're thinking of these verses that teach on money and scriptures. Now it's a matter of outlook because our outlook guides our lifestyle. The outlook guides our lifestyle. These all work together. We're going to continue this a little bit further today, but let's pray before we go any further. <clears throat> Father, you told us when we lack wisdom to ask you. We, we always lack wisdom. We should always be asking you for direction. We don't ever want to approach something and think that we have all the answers. Don't let us do that. I pray that you would use your word today as we look into it, that you would reveal yourself your heart a little bit more the uncomfortable part is where you might reveal our hearts to us as well and where they need to be more in line with you so i I ask for your guidance in that regard draw us into your word help us to see and understand you it's difficult for us to push aside some of the things we've learned but some of it might be necessary help us to embrace you more fully because of our time together now, in your word we pray, in Christ's name, amen. Now in both of the previous weeks, I, I touched on tithing, and lucky for you, you know, those of you who are visiting today, you get to be here on a day when we touch on it a, a, a little bit more, because it's part of biblical stewardship. Now tithing is a word we don't always like to use sometimes. It's, but it's part of a steward's, uh, it's just a call, you know, to us uh, in, in putting God first there, you know, part of the outlook and part of the lifestyle. It's a response of faith to those who have a relationship with God. It, it, it's a response of faith there, tithing, you know, when you think of tithing, we think of giving, you know, giving 10%, giving one-tenth. Uh, today, I want to start with a quick quiz. You see some numbers there on the top of your outline. I want to, I have just three quick questions for you, and I want you to write your answer down on the top of the outline. So the first question there is, if you made $100 last week, how much belongs to God? Just write your answer down real quick there. This is easy math for you. All right, this shouldn't be hard at all. It's easy math. If you made $1,000 last week, how much belongs to God? Now, you see another number there. You see another number, don't shout out your answers now. You see another number there. Um, according to uh, the, the U.S. government, uh, the average U.S. household, as reported in June of last year, the average uh, U.S. household, the income was $62,175. So if that's what you made last year, how much of that belongs to God? Again, this is easy math, and you'll see in a minute it couldn't really be any easier for you. Now, if your answers were $10, you know, for the 100 $100 for the 1062 you know, it's good that you know tithing, but you, you, you've really messed up on stewardship because that, that is not the right answers. Somehow you have missed and misunderstood what biblical stewardship is. According to biblical stewardship, if you made a hundred dollars last week, a hundred dollars of that is God's. If you made, you know, the thousand, a thousand is his sixty-two thousand, sixty-two thousand of it is God's because that's what, you know, a steward understands that God owns everything we have. 
We simply manage it. That's all we do. We manage everything that he has given to us. It's not that too often we approach, you know, and think of tithing or giving, you know, that I put that in, now I paid God off. We wouldn't say it that way. But we live that way sometimes. We live that way with our time. I don't want to step on your toes too much, but um, so, so so we come and we we gather together for and and what we what we think we did sometimes now is that we put in our time for God. I'm good for the week. I'll see you next Sunday, preacher. The bad part is what we do sometimes is I put in my time for the week. I'll see you next week, God. And, and, and we forget everything we have, including our life, everything we have is a gift of God, and we simply manage it. Now, it's a problem when God's people don't recognize God as the owner of everything in our life. That's actually a very serious issue. Uh, you know, and we need not just to understand this mentally. We need to embrace it emotionally. We need to apply it in our living. It needs to be part of who we are, part of everything. God owns everything I have. I'm just the manager. Now, as we look, you know, we're going to look in in another Jesus teachings here in a minute, but what you're going to see is that it's a matter of trust. It's a matter of trust. You see, because here's the deal for us. The degree to which you trust God is reflected in your outlook and expressed through your lifestyle. These all tie together. These are not just separate things. They all tie together. The, the degree to which you trust God, is ex, it's reflected in your outlook. It's expressed through your lifestyle. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 25 today. Turn there. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's page 912. If you've got it somewhere else or on your phone, go ahead and flip to it. I'm using Holman Christian Standard Bible. That's what's in the pew in front of you. So if you get confused by reading something else, um, then I'd encourage you to open what's in front of you there. But keep it open. We're going to kind of go through this. This is really kind of a classic passage used in teaching God's expectation of his people as stewards to steward all that he has to provide us with. So to those of you who this is a very familiar passage, let me encourage you to remember what we talked about when we were very first starting this. Don't bring your expectations to this passage, expecting God to pat you on the back for your expectations. Let's approach this passage saying, God, please guide my expectations. Please guide me in, in, in your word and your, and your truth there. We're going to look at it in sections. Begin with verse 14 with me, if you will. It says, for it is just like a man going on a journey. He called his own slaves and turned over his possessions to them. Uh, to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability. Then he went out on a journey. Immediately the man who had received five talents went and put them to work and earned five more. In the same way, the man who earned two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now we're going to read a little bit more later, but let's just, just stop here for a minute. We're going to, we're eventually going to pour out, pull out four biblical pass, biblical principles from this, from this passage. Now, just a, a, a just a quick note for you up front. This sermon got really long, so you're only going to get two of them today because that's just the way it works. Uh, so uh, look at verse 14. He says, 
For it is just like a man going on a journey. He called his own slaves and turned over his possessions to them. We hate that word slaves. I'm not anybody's slave. Okay, we looked at this last week, you know, and we, we, we were looking at, you know, at what he says about this, about this last week, you know, that he called his own slaves. That word means to be in bondage. It means, you know, to serve exclusively, to, to submit to, to obey. That's what that word means. It's speaking of a relationship that is there. A relationship between, in this case, us and God. A relationship here between uh, the master and what, what's referred to as the master and a slave. Those are the parts we don't like. But it's, he's talking about a relationship here. It's, it's based on commitment and relationship. That's what it is here. We always think of slavery as, as the slave has, has zero, you know, it, it, that they're like a possession. Uh, this is, this is referring to a relationship, a strong, intense relationship, a bond that is there between them based on, on, on a commitment there. You know, for us, it's an outlook where, where we choose to be committed to Jesus, so we determine to place our confidence in Him as the best one to guide our living. This is what he's talking. This is this is what he's communicating here. That relationship where where we are submitting ourselves to Jesus because we know and we could, we trust him and our confidence is in him. And there's this relationship. So he says it's just like a man going on a journey. He called his own slaves. These that he has a relationship with. These that he's committed. And notice what he says. He says he gave to them his possessions. He gave his possessions to them. The master gave his stuff to them. The first principle we already mentioned, God owns everything I have. I thought it was a good idea, wrote it down twice. You know, you do what you want with it, but it just seemed to be a good thing to me there. God owns everything. God owns it all. He asks me to manage it to the best of my ability in a way that honors him. Not in a way that serves me. But in a way that honors him, a couple of implications here of God being the owner. One is, you know, that God has the right to do whatever he wants with what he has given me. The owner has the rights. I mean, the owner has the rights to that. To whatever it is, if you have something that's not yours, that you borrowed from someone or that you leased from someone, the owner has the rights to that place. If you are living in a in rented property, the owner has the rights to that property, not you. The owner can sell it. You can't. It's not yours. The owner has the rights. What it is, and then the, the manager, the steward, has the responsibility. If, again, if, if you're renting a property from some, you have the responsibility to, to, to take care of that. The problem is we always want to drive it like a rental, you know, and, and, and there's a real issue of poor stewardship there, you know. And we have a responsibility. Our responsibility is to God here. We get these reversed in our living. In our living, you know, we think that we have the rights because we see ourselves as the owner. But stewardship, a manager, stewardship is the use of God-given resources for God-given goals. How are you using the stuff you have to honor God? How are you using the stuff you have to help others come closer to a relationship with Christ? 
He's entrusted these to your care. How are you using them? And you see, we trust God's direction for the use of God's resources that he has allowed us to use. And if we truly trust God, it has a profound impact on our living and on our lifestyle, on our outlook, on our lifestyle. It has a profound impact on it. If I truly believe God owns everything and I have a financial setback, uh, you know, I, I lose a job or I, I get financially squeezed. Now, I'm not talking here about getting financially squeezed because we've made foolish decisions. This is too often where we find ourselves. We find ourselves squeezed because we get, you don't, you don't buy a new car when your finances are only there for a used car or maybe a bicycle. You see, but our problem is it's too easy to get into debt to spend money we don't have. That's easy. Anybody here can go out and get a car. You say, no, I can't. Yes, you can. Go over to what's-his-face. For what? Fred Grody. Yeah, I'm a dealer for the people. And there's other ones. There's other ones. He seems like a nice guy. I don't know. Uh, anyway, it, it, it was, he was rated one of the one of the ten best places in Fort Wayne to work, or something like that. I don't know. It's, uh, maybe he's always, always happy. But at any rate, you know, the, the whole point here is we can go and we can we can encumber ourselves in all sorts of debt. Some of you have done that. Some of you are in that. And the squeeze we feel is not because God didn't provide for us. It's because we misused what he provided for us. And because, you know, I got a $100 raise, I went out and spent $200. This is the way we operate. This is the way, this is, this is the, this is the way uh, advertising is there to make you think that you need this stuff. And life is not going to be complete unless you have fill in the blank whatever's pulling your chain right now. You know, from new car to the new clothes to the... I was thinking the other day, you know, I told you I cleaned my closet out and I got rid of a lot of stuff. What I didn't get rid of are shoes. It's not because I have a lot of shoes. I was looking and, and underneath, you know, the clothes are hanging there and there's this thing. I have two pairs of shoes. Uh, that brown pair, you know, you can call them boots. The things go on my feet. And, and a black pair. Because people told me I need brown and black ones. So I have brown and black. Now I have other shoes, but as far as dress shoes go, that's all I have. And I was looking at those and I thought, I need a pair of brown shoes. No, I don't, because I give a rip about shoes, you know. And I said one time, how many, you know, do do we really need one more pair of shoes? And several ladies nodded their head, yeah. Uh, uh, but you see, there's the thinking that sucks us right in, and then what we do is we, 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 we you know, God gives us this stuff, and, and and we've spent it on other things. I remember when, <laughs> when I first got into the ministry, um, you know, when I was doing the welding and millwright work, I didn't need suits. I had a suit that we bought, you know, and I wore it to a wedding, and didn't wear it again for a long time, and gained thirty pounds in the meantime. Um, and so when it came time to get up there and preach, I didn't have any of this stuff. Well, we, we, uh, when we went to the church in Riverdale, they had an apartment in the back of the church and they said, you know, you can come and move here if it'll help you. Yeah, it would help us, you know. Uh, I, you know, so we moved in there and rented our house out. So the first 
month's rent I got. I don't remember it was the first one, but I do remember. The, I got the rent for the house, and uh, I forget what it was, Harry's Menswear, whatever it was, the little men's store in town was having a sale. I didn't have, I didn't have, you know, suit coats to wear and stuff. And this was before the time where you could get up here and anything you wanted, you know, and, uh, I'm neither for nor against that. But the point here is what I did is I took that money then and I thought, well, God provided this money and there's a sale. And so I, and I went over and I bought, I think three sport coats or something. It was a deal and I love a deal. I do. And then I didn't have the money to make the house payment. This is what we do with stuff. And we get money and all of a sudden Coke, I shouldn't say that in this society, Pepsi becomes a necessity. God wants you to have that, those marshmallow creams. Mint chocolate chip ice cream, perhaps. But, you know, the, the, the whole, we, we begin to misuse what God has given us. So what I'm talking here, you know, that God has everything. And we get into financial squeeze. I'm not talking about a financial squeeze because we've made foolish financial decisions. And then what happens when we do that is we allow our foolishness to guide us instead of God's word. You see, because the foolishness begins to push us, and the foolishness then, our foolishness directs our choices, and it directs the use of our funds. And I can't do what God, I can't even take care of some of the opportunities God's opens before me, because I've already very foolishly committed this money to something else that I wanted. If I truly believe God owns everything... And I have a financial setback, you know, or, 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 you know, I'm squeezed there. If I truly believe he owns everything and I've managed it well, you see, then my anxiety isn't as bad as it would be because I realize God can take his stuff and give it to somebody else because it's his stuff. You know, I haven't lost it. Apparently somebody else must need this more than me. Now, if I think I own everything and God blesses me and I get more, we have to be real careful because pride can move in. And what we begin to think then is, is me and mine. You know, and, and we, we think, you know, this is, look at me. This is my money, all the stuff I can get. And we get greedy, we get graspy, you know, and we want, we want more because I think it's all mine. It's only when we realize that God owns it all that we can have a balance that's necessary to handle both downturns and, and also to handle increased wealth. I'm not going to say that. As I look at this passage, okay, what I was going to say is God doesn't give some of us more because we're stupid. We, we, we just we just handle money stupidly. We go out and buy suit coats when we should be making a house payment. Why in the world, you know? But anyway, that's another. Let's move on. Uh, so I, I look at this passage. I see all that I have, God has given to me. He owns it all. He gives different amounts to different people. We have different abilities. That's not a criticism. That's a fact. Just suck it up and get used to it. You know, understand, look at what he says. He says in, in verse 15, to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his own ability. How many of you kids, 
how many how many of you would give your kids just hand them a hundred dollar bill today? Anybody? Well, your kids are older. The rest of you are stingy. When uh, when my two of my grandchildren were born, um, Max and Molly live up in Laporte, you know, and their dad hunts a lot. So does their grandfather. When they were born, their grandfather bought them guns. That was their happy birthday, born, being born gift, a gun. They didn't give it to them. They still haven't given it to them. They still haven't handed it to them. You know, why would you do it? But here's something that they're going to have to learn to use and have to learn, you know, to manage before they will be entrusted with it. Michael has taken them shooting, handed them the gun, instructed them, taken it back. They say, well, yeah, it's easy. That's a gun. God will hand you possessions and give you instructions on how to use them. And if you do something foolish, don't be surprised if he takes it back. You see, we, we need to understand, you know, that he's given to us according to our own ability. One of the problems we have is we think we have more ability than we actually have. I, I'd manage it better if I had more. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. You know, Scripture is pretty clear. Whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. Whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. So how we're managing what we have now tells how we would manage more. Let me rephrase that for you. How we mismanage what we have now shows God how we would mismanage more if he gave it to us. God has a right to hold me accountable. I'm a steward. I'm a manager of his money and possessions. That means everything, every, every decision, every spending decision I make is a spiritual decision. Not just what we put in the offering plate, not just what we give to mission organizations. You know, it, it, it's not that you pray whether or not I should order pop or have water when, you know, when, when I'm at the restaurant. That's, pray about it if you want. But it, the whole thing is that you have the mindset of stewardship already in place. So when it says, you know, that uh, my car needs gas, perhaps I should get a new car. What do you think? Maybe I should buy one with a full tank of gas. But don't we begin to think? Don't we begin to think? You know, you know, you may, maybe you don't think that way, but don't we begin to think that way? I mean, we had friends who, uh, we always joked, you know, we're going we're gonna to drive this car till the wheels fall off. On I-94, you know, the part we call in Chicago, you know, uh, moving under the Kennedy Expressway, uh, their wheel flew off. <laughs> their, their wheel literally came off with this car. And I told them, congratulations, you're the only person I know who really has done that, who really has driven this one until the wheels fell off. You know, um, but, you know, it's, it's a spiritual decision. Uh, you know, what we do, it's, what we do with the rest of our finances show where our values lie. 
You know, we think it's what we put in the offering plate, but really it's what you do with the rest of your finances. Uh, scripture, again, is pretty clear. Matthew 6.21, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. The treasure of the heart. See, the treasure of the heart. There's, there's, they're connected. There's that connection there. Ron Blue, he founded a wealth and financial management uh, retirement planning company. Uh, he went to IU, and uh, so, so those of you who are IU fans, woo uh, Anyway, he went to IU, and I think he started his office down there in Bloomington. I think he's in Georgia now or somewhere because that, that's where everybody moves. It was Wheaton for a while in Colorado Springs. Well, now apparently it's Georgia. But anyway, uh, he founded this, 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 this company, and he has over 20 books on, on financial management and things. This is one of the things he says. He says, um, you, you can't fake stewardship. Your checkbook reveals all that you really believe about stewardship. A life story could be written from a checkbook. It reflects your goals, priorities, convictions, relationships, and even the use of your time. It goes on. <laughs> a person who has been a Christian for even a short while can fake prayer, Bible study, evangelism, going to church. Click that thing and get me to the next. Somebody get back to who knows how to work this thing. Um, you know, and going a lot. Thanks. Um, Bible study, evangelism, going to church, and so on. But you can't fake what the checkbook reveals. This is why so many people are are you know so secretive about their personal finances because of what it'll show about them. When law enforcement does a fraud investigation, when they're investigating for fraud, they listen to what people say, but that's not what they follow. They follow the money trail. And what they do is they begin to see where the money went. And as they follow that money trail, you know what they can do? They can put together the story of what happened. I don't want to scare you, but God knows your money trail. He knows your money trail. He knows the story behind it all and, and, and what it is. We need to move on. Verse 19. I told you to keep your Bibles open. If you didn't, you're going to be behind. Verse 19. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. Look, I've earned five more talents. His master said to him, Way to go, dude. He said, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share in your master's joy. Then the man who had two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. Look, I've earned two more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Share in your master's joy. So our second principle here is, as we look at this is, you know, that, that um, God uses money and possessions to prepare us for his coming kingdom. That's what it seems to indicate here. These verses seem to indicate how we handle what we have now will determine what we can be trusted with in the eternal kingdom. As I was reading this, I thought this seems to fall right in line with part of the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hmm. Whose will be done? Well, you, his will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, on how you manage things now and how you're living now should be revealing the kingdom of God to other people. Should be showing that there's a, a, a different connection you know, for us here. 
In Matthew 25, you know, the passage, he tells the faithful stewards, the good managers, well done, faithful thought. Way to go. Good job, you guys. You know, I gave you a little bit of stuff. Look what you did. This is a paraphrase. Look what you did here. You know, I'll put you in charge of many things. Oh, share in your master's joy. He says the same thing to both of these guys. You know, living as a faithful manager of what God entrusted to our care here is preparing us somehow for life in his eternal kingdom. Three quick points about money and possessions we can pull out of these verses here. One is money and possessions are a very effective tool that God can use in our lives, an effective tool. They, uh, m- m- money has a, uh, and you touch on money, has, has the, the quality of getting our attention quickly, very quickly. Touch somebody's checkbook, touch their wallet, you'll see it gets their attention very quickly. You know, and we have one of two responses during, during financial, you know, financial change there. One's a mature response, you know, God, what, what do you want me to learn from this? That's a matter of trusting. I trust you, God. What is it you want me to learn? The other is an immature response, you know, God, why are you doing this to me? And that reveals that we don't trust God. And that there is no trust. Tools help us, tools help us to build and strengthen. They do. You know, the tools help us to build and strengthen. Think of this even in a mechanical way. You know, you use those tools and the tools help us to get things stronger than we can do it without those tools. They help, you know, to build and strengthen. The second thing, money and possessions are also a very effective test that God uses in our lives. It reveals if we can be trusted with more. Both the servants who were wise managers and used what they were given were both given, were both given more. It was the same response to both. They were given more. The one who did not use what he was given, it, well, he was given less. Now, just so you understand the whole idea of when we're talking about test, this is not that two passed and one failed. That's not the goal of a test. You know, I, I'm, I'm, trust me on this. I'm married to a teacher. You know, the, the goal of a test is meant to reveal ability. That's why you give a test. To reveal the ability. And then you see what the, where their ability lies and you're able to help them. You're able to encourage the things which they already have a good handle on. You're able to help them with those things they don't understand. God is not looking to discourage us. He is looking to build us up. He wants to build us up. And the third thing, money and possessions have a very effective testimony that God uses in our lives. A very effective testimony. We're called to be a light in this world, you know, to help others see and to know God. The question is the same as last week. What are we doing right now with what God has given us? What are we doing with God has given, with what God has given us right now? What in your current testimony of how you are living, what in your current testimony of how you are managing what God has already given you, what in that, what in that picture is, is showing, you know, how you have used what God has provided? What in that picture is showing him that you are a faithful steward? The distinctive for someone with a relationship with Jesus is not how much or how little we have. It's our attitude toward what we have that sets us apart. Do you live from attitude or do you live from an attitude of trust? 
Is that the attitude you're living for? Whether we hold it tightly or whether we, we, or whether we hold it with an open hand and manage it for God's use or if we grip it tightly, hold on to it for our use. Who are you trusting? Are you trusting God or are you trusting yourself? That tells what kingdom we live for. When you live for, when you live from an attitude of trust or we loosen our grip, we're free to better use everything he's provided us. Too many of God's people live for a world that is temporary. And not that world that's eternal. We, 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 we don't live from an attitude of trust. We grasp, we hoard, hold, we hold tightly what he's given us to use for his glory. It's a matter of trust. Do you trust, do you trust God enough to live in a way to show him that he can trust you? This is part of what I see in this passage. The degree to which you trust God is reflected in your outlook and it's expressed through your lifestyle. Next week, we're going to finish our look at this passage. Aren't you glad I stopped halfway? Um, You know, there's the picture, you know. And do you trust God enough to live in a way that he can trust you? Let's pray together.